You're listening to In Spirit and Truth, the radio ministry of Pastor J.D. Farag of Calvary Chapel, Kaneohe. Pastor J.D. is currently teaching through the book of Psalms. Worry and fear can create a trap coming from the fear of man. This is what the Proverbs say, that fear of man is a trap. When you're trying to Please man, you are trapped by man because now you're dancing to the beat of the drum played by man, not God. You become a man pleaser because you fear man and not a God pleaser because no longer do you fear God. Pastor J.D. explains the importance of choosing to please God rather than mankind. With all the social media platforms and electronics available today, Feeling the pressure to please others has become a real issue. But Pastor J.D. implores you to remember who you should be striving to please, and that is God. Look at your life and ask yourself, are you a God pleaser? Now, be sure to stay with us after today's message to hear how you can get your own copy of today's broadcast. Subscribe to the In Spirit and Truth podcast or download the In Spirit and Truth iPhone or Android mobile app. Now, here's Pastor J.D. in the book of Psalms, chapter 56, with today's edition of In Spirit and Truth. Worry and fear can dominate our decision-making process. Let me say it this way. Never make a decision based on fear. You will never make the right decision. (laughs) That decision you make should be made by faith, not fear. This is clearly what happened with David. What caused him to make the decision, the fateful decision, you might say, to flee to, of all places, Gath, Philistine territory. He's in enemy territory. What would cause him to make such a foolish decision? Fear. Fear is a pretty powerful motivator. When we're dominated by fear, we will always make the wrong decision, period. And conversely, when that decision is dominated by faith, it is always the right decision. You know, as the writer of Hebrews says, and this is one of those verses that depends on what side of the table you're on concerning it, but (laughs) the writer of Hebrews says, without faith, it is impossible to please God. Now I would venture to say there's not a one of us here in this church tonight that doesn't want to please God. We want our lives to please God, right? Well, guess what? Uh, Without faith, you'll never please God. Without faith, it's impossible. It's not even possible without faith to please God. You want to please God? If you don't have faith, it's impossible. You can't. But it works both ways. If it's impossible to please God without faith, that means that it's possible to please God with faith. In other words, God is most pleased by our faith. You know, in the Gospels, one of the most astonishing things that you see with Jesus is that he would go out of his way and note when somebody had faith. And he would be healed because of it. There's one account where he marvels at the faith. 
of this man. He said, I, said, I have not seen any, any faith like this. In other words, he, he stops everything, and you got to know the crowd was boisterous and loud, and there was a lot of activity, a lot of things going on. And it's like he stops everything. He said, I want you to notice something here. I want you to notice this man's faith. And there's another account when he goes to Nazareth, his own hometown. And he also notes not the faith, but the lack of faith. And, and he could do nothing because of their unbelief. Unbelief's an interesting word. I mean, it's, it's like unfaith. <laughs> I, I think of the man who, who said to Jesus, I believe, but Lord, help my unbelief. I know that within me resides no good thing. In my flesh there dwells no good thing. I am prone in and of myself to not have faith. I need you to help. I need faith. I need faith. I want to believe. And I know that when I believe and when I have faith, you are so pleased. Here's the second one. Worry and fear can give way to lies to protect ourselves. This is... um, uh, sort of textbook when it comes to children. Have you ever noticed that you never have to teach your children to lie? <laughs> no, you have to teach them not to lie, right? I mean, that's, that's the sin nature. When my uh, children were little, especially my boys, you know, I, oh, they were so adorable. And then you look at them and you realize they are dirty, rotten, stinking sinners. And they need to be saved. I mean, they're, they're so adorable, you know, especially when they're young, but man, they're sinners. <laughs> they're liars. And I didn't have to teach them to sin. I did not have to sit down and have a devotional. Okay, this is how you lie. No, they did very well, thank you very much, on their own. It came very naturally <laughs> in the sin nature. But I used to always teach my kids that when you're afraid to tell the truth, you'll lie, thinking that it's better if you lie than telling the truth. So why did you lie? Because I thought you'd get angry. Oh, so you lie, you don't, I'm going to, I'm not going to be angrier because you lied? You're going to be found out. Yeah, but I was afraid. Really? So your decision to lie was based on your fear. Listen, if you would have just told me the truth, I would have probably said, well, first of all, I would have probably said, wait, (laughs) did you just tell the truth? (gasps) (laughs) Wow. Praise the Lord. (laughs) Let's, (laughs) I'm going to reward you. You can have... Baskin and Robbins ice cream, whatever you want, you know. But if, you, if you're just honest with me, I'm not going to be angry. You know how when your, your children say, okay, promise you won't get angry <laughs> when I tell you this? I, I'm always a little bit taken back by that. So one of my, my first responses was, it depends. <laughs> okay, I'm not going to tell you that. Okay, I won't get angry. And then they tell you, you're like, Argh! Well, but then at least you told me the truth. At least you were honest. 
At least he didn't lie. You know, sometimes next to pride, we're never more like the devil than when we lie, because he's the father of lies. That's his native language. David's fear was what fueled the lie, and it was to protect himself. Here's the third one. Worry and fear can cause us to default to the ways of the world. I use the word default because that is our default. When we become fearful and we're fretting and we're worried, we, we default to the ways that we used to deal with worry and fear. And again, this is the antithesis of faith. You know, it's a renewing of your mind by the Word of God where this transformation takes place. You're thinking in new ways. You're, you're thinking and seeing things and making decisions through the lens of faith, not fear. And this is what David does. I mean, it's almost like he's going back into the Philistine world, as it were, all because of fear. And this kind of ties in with the fourth one, and it's that worry and fear can create a trap coming from the fear of man. This is what the Proverbs say, that fear of man is a trap. When you're trying to please man, you are trapped by man because now you're dancing to the beat of the drum played by man, not God. You become a man pleaser because you fear man, and not a God pleaser because no longer do you fear God. There's a fear of God that is to hate evil. And by the way, the proverb says that the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. Could it also be said if the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, that the fear of man is the beginning of folly? Absolutely. And this is certainly the case with David here. Number five, worry and fear can lead to ungodly and irrational behavior. And I mean, for David to start feigning madness, why is he doing that? Because we're told in First Samuel, he was afraid. They know who I am. And, and he thought, some commentators, and we, we talked about this again in 1 Samuel, some commentators suggest that God actually in that instant, in that moment, gave him that idea of feigning madness. Because it did work. I mean, <laughs> the, the king of Achish is looking at this, you know, madman scratching and drooling, <laughs> you know, on the gates. And he's looking at this guy going, there's no way this can be David. And so it is possible, I suppose, that God gave him this idea. But the reality is, is that it was because of his fear that he behaved in this way. Fear, again, is a very powerful motivator, and it can really change one's behavior. Number six, Worry and fear can bring harm and peril to those around us. You have to understand that it's not just us. Our decisions in life can affect and be so far-reaching and affect others in profound ways. 
And number seven, lastly, this is what fear cannot do. This is what fear can never do. It can never have the final word in our lives. God will have the final word. We're going to see that if we get to Psalm 59. We should probably get moving here. So Psalm 57. Here again we have a descriptive title that is to the chief musician set to another song titled Do Not Destroy. It's a meditation, a michdom of David, when this time he fled from Saul into a cave. Verse 1, Be merciful to me, O God, be merciful to me, for my soul trusts in you, and in the shadow of your wings I will make my refuge until these calamities have passed by. I will cry out to God Most High, to God who performs all things for me. He shall send, verse 3, from heaven and save me. He reproaches the one who would swallow me up. Selah. Pause. Consider. God shall send forth His mercy and His truth. My soul is among lions. I lie among the sons of men who are set on fire. Listen to this imagery. Whose teeth are spears and arrows and their tongue a sharp sword. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be above all the earth. If that sounds like a worship song that we, that's because it is. Verse 6, they have prepared a net for my steps. My soul is bowed down. They have dug a pit before me. Into the midst of it they themselves have fallen. Selah. My heart is steadfast, O God. My heart is steadfast. I will sing and give praise. Awake, my glory. Awake, lute and harp. I will awaken the dawn. I will praise you, O Lord, among the peoples. I will sing to you among the nations, for your mercy reaches under the heavens, and your truth under the clouds. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be above all the earth. I want to preface this about uh, Psalm 57, because it's about this time when David, again fleeing from Saul, finds himself in a cave only to find out that Saul, who's out to kill him, and his men are in the same cave. <laughs> it's in moments like that that you think to yourself, what are the odds? Here he's hiding in this cave, and the very one he's hiding from is now entering that cave. He doesn't know, Saul doesn't know, nor do his men, that David is there, and his men with him. So Saul <laughs> um, needs to sleep, and so he's sleeping, and David's men are like, oh my goodness, David, <laughs> God is so good. God has delivered your enemy into your hands. You can kill him, and all of this ends. And what does David do? He takes his sword, he goes to where Saul is sleeping, and he just cuts a piece of Saul's robe, 
instead of plunging it into Saul's heart. Much to the consternation of David's men, like they're going, what are you doing? You can end this whole nightmare right now. You have been anointed to be king of Israel. God has delivered him into your hands. This is the time. Now is the time. Do it. And David's response was, no, uh, I will not raise my hand against the Lord's anointed. I am not going to take it this way. He had the, the wisdom and the discernment, keen discernment, to realize that this was not God's timing for him to take the throne. You know what? It's going to be years later. So this is what this psalm is all about to me. It's about how God prepares us for that which he is preparing for us. Some believe, and it could be more, but it was about 10 years from the time that David was anointed to be king of Israel to the time that he actually became king of Israel. Now here's a question. God sends Samuel out to the house of Jesse. Jesse has eight sons, and David is the youngest. He's not even in the lineup. So Samuel's waiting for the Lord to show him which one he's anointed to be the king that would succeed Saul, the first king of Israel, because now the kingdom had been taken away from Saul. So now God's going to have Samuel the prophet anoint the next king of Israel. And he asked Jesse, the father, um, do you have any more sons? He said, yeah, I do. I have another son. He's just a little ruddy, you know, teenager, whippersnapper. And well, where is he? Oh, he's out tending to the sheep. Go get him and bring him. And he brings little David. Some believe he was about 13 maybe at the time. And God makes it very clear, some believe through the Urim and the Thummim, that this is the one, and he anoints him to be king of Israel. Now, as you might imagine, the whole family, dad especially, and the first son, <laughs> Eliab, the oldest, who, who's the heir apparent, he's the obvious choice. Which, by the way, I, I really wonder when David shows up on the battlefield, his uh, three older brothers are there, Eliab is there, and Eliab is like, what are you doing here? Go home. This is his kid brother. There was resentment there on Eliab's part because David was the one that was anointed king of Israel and not him. And when he's asked, queried about how is it that the youngest, the least, the last is going to be anointed king of Israel, and Samuel's response is, well, Man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. And that's why. But he's not ready yet. He's not ready to be king yet. I need to prepare him before I can place him. I, he's anointed to be king, but there's going to have to be this preparation process. And again, some believe it was about 10 years. So here's another question. Why, why would God allow Saul for how many ever years it was to seek to kill David. Why would God, he's just anointed David to be king of Israel. Why would David now have to be homeless basically, live in caves, run for his life for 10 years 
before he can be king, rightfully so. Here's a thought. Because he's showing David what a king of Israel should never be with Saul. Uh, David, I, I need to prepare you, and part of that preparation is to show you that this is what a king is not. And you're going to run for your life from this king as I prepare you to be the next king. There's um, another man, one of my favorite, if not my favorite in all of the Old Testament, and it's Joseph. I really believe it's about 17 years for Joseph. 17 years from the time that God gave him that dream, that the sheaves would bow down to him, that there was coming a time, and he had the seven, you know, uh, the, the number of completion, the typology is just profound, but he has this dream that he's going to be in this position of power, and everyone, including his brothers and his father and mother, which was unthinkable in that culture in that time, would bow down to him. Even his father rebuked him when he shared what God had shown him in this vision. But, Joseph, we have a problem here. I can't put you in that position of power, which, by the way, would end up being the most powerful man in the world next to Pharaoh until I prepared you. <laughs> so now you're going to have to go through this whole preparation process for 17 years. You're going to have to be prepared for that which I have prepared for you. And so for 17 years he is on the receiving end of everything you could possibly imagine. Betrayal, left for dead by his brothers, sold into slavery, falsely accused of rape by his boss's wife. How's that one? Forgotten when he's in this dungeon, when he interprets this dream. We talked about this a couple weeks ago. This was all part of God's preparation, all part of God's plan. He was preparing Joseph to be the most powerful. You just don't put a man in that position without preparing him first. It'll destroy him. He had to prepare him. And that's what God does in our lives, isn't it? God is always all about preparing us for that which He's preparing for us. Maybe you've heard it said that there's no triumph without trouble. There's no testimony without the test. Or as one said, there's no message without the mess. God takes this mess and He's preparing your message. We're so glad you joined us today for Pastor J.D.'s continuing teaching in the book of Psalms. While our time with you is ending, your study of God's Word doesn't have to. Everyone can learn from the Bible, and everyone will be blessed when they open their hearts to its truth. As you spend time in Scripture today, ask God to share His heart directly with yours, and be open to whatever He has to teach you. Know that we're praying for you as you study and will continue to do so each time we produce a new edition of In Spirit and Truth. Are you in the Kaneohe area? If so, we'd love to have you come be a part of our weekly services. 
Calvary Chapel Kaneohe meets each week to spend time praising the Lord and learning from His Word. Find out more about us and get directions at inspiritandtruthradio.com. You can also hear additional teachings from Pastor J.D. while you're there or download our mobile app for Apple and Android devices to access these messages anywhere and everywhere. We'd also like to point out Pastor J.D.'s Mideast Prophecy Update. Each Friday and Saturday, Pastor J.D. updates us on where the world is in conjunction with the prophecies of the Bible. He takes the time to comb through the news and tell us how world events line up with God's plan as stated in His Word. If you'd like to view the latest edition of the Mideast Prophecy Update, visit our website. Again, that's in spiritandtruthradio.com. Thanks for joining us today for Pastor J.D.'s teaching, and we hope you'll tune in again right here on In Spirit and Truth.